Criminal justice reform does not mean letting people out of jail. It means holding them accountable and putting them in jail. When you don't solve a cold case, you leave the, the perpetrator on the street. Has she left like this before? Yeah, no, never. That's what, that's... And it's not common for her to be gone like late at night? No, not especially since my daughter got out of Jessica wasn't just trash that was thrown away. The fact that you have no idea what's going on is absurd. So I put in there, you know, like, would you think I would hurt her or something? The mayor has asked the Federal Justice Department for help cleaning up the New Orleans police, long plagued by what many see as a culture of corruption. I mean, why did the family find her fucking body and not the police? You don't care enough to make sure that you have the right person in the crosshairs of the legal justice system. Then you are ignoring evidence and you're ignoring the person that caused the real harm. Well, I don't want to be sexist, but women tend to do that, you know, at least to me, let me put it that way. I mean, so close to home, too. Like, what an utter failure. This tells you that this can happen to anybody. Nobody is immune from crime. Justice to me is being in a courtroom and the person who did this to my sister, the judge says guilty. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out, another evil mom case. So let's talk about Diane Stoudy. So Diane met her husband, Mark Stoudy, at a bluegrass festival in 1984. He was always happy with the kids. He was always happy with his wife. He loved them. He loved his family. And it was just a great family. So the day after Mark's birthday was Easter, and that's when they found Mark unresponsive and they declared him dead. On September 2nd, 2012, emergency services were called to their new house. Diane's oldest son, 26-year-old Sean, was found unresponsive. We talked about um, basically a mutual hatred of dad. Houses are nasty after somebody's died in it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. The boys and I are back for another evil mom case. I don't know why we've been on the evil mom kick lately. But. Seems to be cropping up here, but man, they they give me the heebie-jeebies. I, I can't. It's hard to fathom. Mom, yeah. Mothers that do things against their own family. It's just it's hard to wrap your head around. I think it's some of the most evil they could possibly do and and this one is no exception except difference between her and Shelly Notek is slightly different but the big difference between this case and the Shelly Notek case is that this evil mom decides to recruit one of her daughters her favorite daughter to take part in her evil plan and this one will will definitely shake you to your core because it's just unbelievable the the destruction that she unleashes on those closest to her. If I could be a fly on the wall of that house, I know. just to listen in on what conversations were transpiring, I, it's, it's hard to imagine that these things just crop up naturally. 
and this is a this is a woman who is a nurse who literally makes her living taking care of people and nurturing them back to health but in this case that's also similar to Shelly Notech. She true. was in healthcare as well. That's true. Yeah. Ooh, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Very, very scary. But that's what we're going to be getting into today. Before we dive in, though, a couple things I want to mention. Welcome back, first of all, from our uh, latest holiday. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Good, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hopefully, it was a, a good one for you. It was good for me. Um, how was yours? Oh, just spent most of my time moving. <laughs> Did you have turkey I, at I least? Didn't, I didn't go home. No, I had some pizza rolls. <laughs> <laughs> My kitchen was totally in disarray. So I was like, I can't, Not, cook, can't cook right now. Yeah. But was it at least good pizza rolls or was it just Totino's? It was, yeah. It was, that was it. Man. Not even some bagel bites. Or? But you know, sometimes, as the Buddhists say, you know, just be present and try and enjoy yourself. You know, <laughs> just be thankful for what you have. Exactly. Yeah. But how was yours? Good. Danny and I uh, chefed up quite the feast man yeah did danny go shirtless too i saw you went shirtless in the kitchen. no that was uh pre everybody coming over <laughs> oh gotcha yeah yeah but no danny and i i smoked a turkey oh nice for like five hours and that turned out pretty damn good it was delicious my uncle smoked a turkey once and he undercooked it by a mile oh it was like not still good. pink inside it's disgusting oh no yeah yeah we did turkey and then danny made a bunch of different sides a bunch of mashed potatoes yeah. green beans all oh, the classics yeah he basically took care of all the rest so we kind of tag teamed it uh for the fam so nice it was good i love a classic thanksgiving meal sometimes I, I think i get sick of it but then when i have it again i'm like ah nah, this it is just good. hits man yeah. every every year i just look forward to it and this year was no exception nice my That's daughter cool. loved it. it was uh you know she's only 15 months old or almost 16 months and she last year it was just formula right at her so first she, thanksgiving she can actually, so can she eat like mashed potatoes oh and yeah stuff now she nice. can take turkey down oh really oh yeah she Sweet. takes it all down she oh, loves yeah. it all so she really enjoyed it. oh he danny made some bomb mac and cheese man. <laughs> and we made so much we were supposed to we thought we were gonna have like 10 to 12 people it was seven but we still cooked for like 12 people good, good. so we had literally two pounds of macaroni and cheese man white cheddar it dry right it was two pounds of pasta dry yes wow. yeah. yes I still have a gallon-sized bag in my fridge of mac and cheese. Well, I got some pizza rolls. Maybe I'll bring it to you and you can (laughs) just bring you the leftovers. Well, shit, man. If you hadn't been moving, I would have just invited you over. It's okay. We actually talked about that. I was like, does Austin have anywhere to go this year? Yeah, I was going to go to like my cousin's cousin's family. Yeah, I was like, well, you have... I did have a hookup, but I ended up canceling myself because I was like, I'm way too stressed with this move. I can't even... I was planning on making a peach cobbler. I'm like, I can't even wrap my head around the peach cobbler right now. It's not even that hard. Microwave to make, only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have just bought something from the store and showed up. Yeah, God, you can get a uh, Thanksgiving to go from like, I think like Bojangles or something was doing like oh, a Thanksgiving really? meal to go. There's some restaurants that do it like to go where you just not get the day whole... of though. You have to like pick it up the day before or something. Yeah, okay. yeah. But that's not as good. But still, man. Yeah, I should have just done something like that and sucked it up. But yeah, no, it was just me and Jerry this Thanksgiving. That's all right. That's all right. But the other thing I wanted to bring up is we dropped that new hoodie, um, which is really cool. Go pick it up if you want it because there's limited quantities of it. Uh, Really, really heavyweight. 
great quality. It's got the puff print on the front. Love it. It's super warm. At lightsoutcast.shop. And then also, we we did the kind of a Lights Out Mile Higher podcast crossover last week. And actually, the episode's going up this Wednesday, so a few days before this one goes up. But if you want to go check out, Austin came over and uh, guest-hosted Mile Higher with me, and we covered Stardust Ranch. Man, that was so much fun. It was a blast. Yeah. And hope, a great story, too. I hope Kendall goes out of town more often <laughs> so I can take over. That was a lot of fun. Also, just heads up, I shine like the sun on that episode because I put on too much face moisturizer. So I'm not sweating. I'm not nervous. I'm just, uh, it's. I got to switch up my my Just great regimen. skin. Yeah, just great yeah. skin. Yeah. It's dewy, as they say. Dewy. Yeah. But no, that's a great a great episode we'll link it uh for you below if you want to go check it out after this one uh because it's a kind of got the whole skinwalker vibe uh but with a little more uh, drama and conspiracy mixed into it uh but an absolutely great episode uh if you're looking for some more content to to watch or listen to so yeah lots of fun things going on but let's let's go ahead and dive into this case because this one is it's just bonkers man so let's talk about diane Stouty. So let's talk about their family and, and kind of how we got to where we're at today. Because Diane is, I mean, if there's ever been a monster. She's she's definitely one of them. So Diane met her husband, or I guess ex-husband at this point, Mark Stouty, at a bluegrass festival in 1984. Mark, big into music, musician can absolutely shred on the harmonica yeah Did, aren't you in a bluegrass don't you play a little yeah bluegrass? yeah well i grew i grew up in uh my brother plays a banjo right we play guitar and we back each other up we did some some shows and stuff back in the day and it's awesome yeah get down on that you know as people call it hillbilly music jerry garcia started in bluegrass thank you yeah a lot of people don't or forget that or don't don't know that yeah about the, why, the grateful dead that's why you can shred so hard as yeah. you can i mean bluegrass is really the foundation for jam band music yeah really. exactly I mean, you know for that whole genre i feel like kind of originates from those roots for sure definitely if you haven't heard bluegrass music before we talk about metal and a lot of <laughs> heavier music on the show but bluegrass is it's basically metal with acoustic instruments yeah the sheer speed is is very phenomenal. fast yeah. yeah it's very fast so mark was 10 years older than diane and Diane really loved how nice he was, and they bonded over their love of music. Later, when she worked as a cardiology nurse at St. John's Hospital in Kansas City, Diane got pregnant, and they had a shotgun wedding on December 28, 1985. They then moved into a modest three-bedroom home at 2444 West Page Street in Springfield, Missouri, a sleepy college town, and here they would raise four children together. Their first was Sean, who was born in July of 1986. After Sean, they had three daughters named Sarah, Rachel, and Brianna. And while raising a family, Diane was definitely the breadwinner. She later worked in health insurance and became a clinical supervisor for United Healthcare in Springfield. And on weekends, you know, that love of music came out because she played the organ at the local Redeemer Lutheran Church. And that's another thing that just really gets me about Diane Stoudy is that She's that, you know, good church going woman. She very devout. In the, yeah, she takes it very seriously. She contributes to the church. She plays that organ. I mean, 
organs and churches just go together like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> it's, it's always the deeply, deeply religious people that you kind of got to keep your, your watch on. Yeah, which you wouldn't think that's the case, but I mean, it's, I mean, sometimes I feel like they use that as a disguise almost. It's a mask, exactly. It's like, you know, where a better place to hide if you're truly evil than in a church where yep. nobody's going to suspect the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. As for Mark, he sometimes worked as a bartender on the side for extra cash, but he really spent most of his time playing guitar, harmonica. He also sang a little bit for a local country blues band called Messing With Destiny. Mark's drummer and close friend named Charles Alexander once put it, as far as I knew, Mark's life was great. So there's really no indications of like anything negative brewing in the Stouty family home. So let's let's hear a little bit from Charles and you know his thoughts about Mark and their family. As far as I knew, Mark's life was great. Charles Alexander is Mark's close buddy and the drummer in the band. He was always happy with the kids. He was always happy with his wife. He loved them. He loved his family. And it was just a great family. Got to hear a little bit of the music going. Yeah. Yep. Really, really good. So from the outside, the Stouties lived an ideal life. Mark was always warm and friendly. And Diane, though, was a little bit more quiet and standoffish, which when you see here, you definitely can see how that's very very true she speaks in like very short sentences it seems like she's just disinterested in most things yeah when she talks which another red flag yeah <laughs> right? seriously charles described diane as being friendly to the point where or she could tolerate you being in her driveway because i was like the thing he's like yeah she like didn't let people inside the house. Yeah, especially him, which he was a super close friend to Mark, and she just wouldn't let like meet you in the driveway. Yeah, you're not going any further. It. We can maybe get in the garage, yeah. but besides that, so definitely, definitely a little bit strange. But over the years, Diane began to resent Mark for not providing more financial security for her family. She began distancing herself from her husband and spent more time with her middle daughter, 22-year-old Rachel. So Diane, she wasn't afraid to show that Rachel, her middle daughter, was her favorite child, which we'll get into a little bit later, but she would post pictures on her social media constantly and brag about her accomplishments. But as for her youngest daughter, 12-year-old Brianna, she had some intellectual disabilities. There's not much else known about her. Her name has since been changed and she has kind of faded out of the spotlight. So we don't know too much about her youngest. As for her oldest son, 26-year-old Sean, he was diagnosed with autism. He often struggled with maintaining a job. He didn't get along with his coworkers. Her eldest daughter, 24-year-old Sarah, she went on to graduate with a degree in French from Missouri State University, which was also in Springfield, just nearby. But after graduating, like many of us, she couldn't find work, so she moved back home with her family, and she struggled to pay off her student debt which Diane was always constantly worried about and nagged her about constantly. And I don't know, have, were you ever there after graduating? Yeah, I mean, I I can relate to that. I mean, I I paid for my own college. Oh, did you? Yeah, I didn't. That's impressive. My parents didn't pay a, pay a dime for my college. I put myself through college and paid paid it all off. But I do I do understand from that like single parent income because my my 
home was the same type of way. Like my mom's a breadwinner and my dad didn't really work, kind of had did odd jobs type of things. So similar situation. And she definitely felt the pressure. So I understand from that perspective of like in any single, uh, you know, family in, or I mean, it, this applies to any family where there's, you know, a single breadwinner. And, and a lot of us, you know, I, I have friends and stuff who grew up where, you know, their their dad, you know, made the money for the household. But that definitely carries stress, especially in these times, right? Like yeah. that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And so I could see how Diane would be irritated and frustrated, maybe perhaps with her choice of major. I mean, a degree in French. I don't really know what careers education. translate from that I but again it's you higher do, education still but. yeah it's like you basically can do like english as a second language something in education i'm assuming is what you'd mostly get a job with french i uh, wonder if diane ever like pushed them into healthcare mm. like ever was like you should go into healthcare because obviously a lot of healthcare jobs pay pretty well especially nurses uh, get paid pretty well and maybe there was something like that going on where it's like she was trying to like push sarah into that direction but sarah wanted to do ultimately what she was interested in right and therefore there's resentment built up from that and i mean i can't talk i i got a degree in creative writing so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and were you able to use your creative writing degree out of college not not immediately no was, i was stuck in a spiral for a very long time <laughs> so yeah it wasn't until i came across old josh here yeah online. pulls you out of that spiral yeah. it's like you want to write man hell yeah so yeah so it did pay off in the long run though but i understand the pressure and i don't know things get depressing and stuff after graduation when you can't find a job and whatnot but so that's where her eldest daughter was at but between them all rachel stayed as diane's favorite through all the years and on social media she would brag about rachel making the dean's list or picking up the guitar after her father and if she already wasn't her favorite, Rachel also began performing in the music ministry in their Lutheran church. So Diane was through the roof with how, how proud she was of Rachel. Which do you think some of that is because Diane sees it as a reflection of herself too? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it feeds her ego by having this daughter that she can show off and is kind of following more so in her mother's footsteps. That's a great point. Yeah. Versus her other kids are not really, you know, shining the light on her necessarily in the way that she wants it yeah that's a great point hmm. so over the years diane distanced herself slowly from her family members everybody basically except rachel she was uh rachel was just always under her mother's wing and mark we don't really know the home dynamics here but mark's focus was mostly on his band that's that's what he loved to do and by 2012 his band Messing With Destiny started getting bigger, consistent gigs at the local bars and venues in Bronson, which was a city about 40 miles south of Springfield. And funny, it's also known as the Las Vegas of the Midwest, which I come from the Midwest and I've I've never heard of Bronson before. They need they don't do uh, good enough advertising, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They're really the Las Vegas of the Midwest. <laughs> I will say, though, from the pictures and videos I saw of Bronson, it looked kind of cool, so... I guess that's what they have going on out that way. But just when his band started making more money from their shows, they noticed, especially one day, they noticed Mark was acting kind of strange. And on Friday, April 6th, 2012, 
The band was setting up their equipment and doing sound checks for the gig, and the rest of the members noticed that something was just a little off about Mark, but they, they couldn't pinpoint it. He didn't really bring the same amount of energy that he usually did, and his drummer and good friend Charles, who we saw earlier, he said, quote, It wasn't like he was drunk or anything. He was just all out of whack. As it turns out, his son Sean also posted several times on Facebook over the course of a few days around then, and it was about his dad, and he was losing his motor skills, and he was saying that his father was suffering from some incurable mental illness. So even his son started seeing these changes in him. And on that Friday, Sean posted that his father was depressed and even suicidal. God. So major, major shift yeah. in Mark. Something clearly. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. And... The day after that gig was Mark's 61st birthday, and his condition just continued to deteriorate. He showed up to Charles' house ready to celebrate his birthday, but even Charles noticed that he had gotten worse over the course of the day, and he noticed the strangest part was that Mark's skin had this yellowish, greenish tinge to it, and he was still acting strange. And I know I know, yellow tinge is a big sign of like a, a deep illness, like something... I really think I'm pretty on. sure it's also indication of like uh, organ failure or like some oh, type yeah. of internal um, situation going on. That would make sense. So the day after Mark's birthday was Easter and Sean posted that his father was so weak that he spent most of the day in bed. And later that afternoon, emergency services were called to the Stouty residence. And that's when they found Mark unresponsive and they declared him dead. When police questioned Diane, she said Mark had been, quote, feeling weak the last few days. He was rarely eating and spent most of his time sleeping. Diane had checked on him several times, and when she asked him questions, all he could do was grunt. Other times, he didn't respond at all, even. She also claimed that he suffered from three different seizures that day. So just right off the bat, it's like, that's pretty serious. Yeah. How come emergency services are just now getting called after he's dead? Right. I would have taken him like the moment he started acting strange and I could see that his skin color was changing. That's when I would take him to the hospital, right? Well, Diane didn't really seem, uh, seem that worried about it. After Diane had returned from the Easter Sunday service, so she still went to church despite her husband essentially dying at home. Because... She wants to save face. She's right. a good church woman, right? Yeah, she can't leave the church hanging. Mark had suffered his third and final seizure. And 45 minutes later, that's when she found him unresponsive. So obviously when the police get there, they're like, why didn't you call an ambulance or take him to the hospital? Why is he just suffering at home from this mysterious illness? And she claims that Mark refused to go. That's a very convenient response. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Later, she said that Mark threatened to kill her if she took him to the hospital. Here's where I found her first lie. Now, I don't know when she's exactly saying this in the course of his illness, but she had already said he could barely talk. He was just grunting. So when did he say that he didn't want to go to the hospital? And also, isn't there a certain point that it's like, oh, I'll kill you if you take me to the if you take me to the hospital, well, yeah. hey, you can't speak and you're, you're going gonna to die. die if I don't take you to the hospital. Yeah. I think, like, oh, okay, you don't want to go? Fine. Mm. Seems pretty suspect. When police inspected his body, they noticed there was blood all around his mouth, which was definitely odd. 
But other than that, they didn't see any signs of physical trauma. So they figured Mark had simply died of natural causes, which, you know, you can critique the police in most cases and be like, hmm, why don't you dig a little bit deeper? But again, like you have to remember when they're showing up to these scenes, they have to go off of what information they're given, right? And at first look, things sort of check out. Obviously, there's definitely some red flags, in my opinion, that maybe warrant more investigation or digging. But based on the information that they're getting from Diane, who also happens to be a nurse, and you know, they start explaining that Mark wasn't the healthiest guy. He wasn't a drug addict or an alcoholic. But Diane said that Mark was a binge drinker a diabetic and a smoker. So she kind of uses those to, you know, create the narrative that, well, he was diabetic and he smoked. So anything I, could happen. Yeah. I, I mean, I could kind of see people die of massive heart attacks in like yeah. the thirties and stuff. Right. So it's not totally, you know, out of the realm of possibility, but she also said he never went to the doctor and he never exercised. So even though his death was a shock, Mark's family accepted that he could have suddenly fallen ill and just passed away because they all knew that he wasn't the healthiest guy. So again, anything's possible. And Diane started telling people that Mark had died from a sudden heart attack. After his death, an autopsy was never performed. At Mark's memorial, his band members performed a song in his honor. Meanwhile, Diane collected $20,000 from Mark's life insurance policy. She then quickly cremated his body and scattered his ashes in a nearby lake. So, again, at this point, not nothing necessarily completely out of the ordinary here, but as we go further along, you'll be like, oh, interesting that she kind of moved very quickly past Mark's death. Yeah, and the $20,000 isn't anything insane. It's not an exorbitant right? amount of money, but for, the, for her, definitely helps. Yeah, and we'll see that she uses it towards something. So two months after Mark's death, Diane used the cash from her husband's life insurance policy to move in to a bigger house that was about five miles across town at 1644 West Swan Street. And at this new house, not even six months after Mark's death, on September 2nd, 2012, emergency services were called to their new house. Diane's oldest son, 26-year-old Sean, was found unresponsive, just like his father. Diane had discovered him on his bedroom floor around 12.30 p.m. after she got home from church, almost exactly like she found her husband. She told police that the last time she had spoken to Sean was the night before. He had been complaining of feeling sick and nauseous. Supposedly, he was also suffering from severe aches and diarrhea. She claimed he had had these symptoms for maybe a few weeks, but they escalated in the past few days. But just like she did with Mark... Diane would go in and check on him every once in a while, but she never once took him to the hospital. And when police inspected the body, they noticed a familiar coating of blood around Sean's lips, just like Mark had. Diane told them that Sean was prone to seizures. Besides that, there was no signs of physical trauma. And the official cause of death from the medical examiner was, quote, prior medical issues. They noted that Sean had a congenital kidney defect, and he had suffered from brain damage, including seizures and small strokes, but at the time, they just didn't consider foul play to be involved. And still, no one connected the dots between Mark's deaths and Sean's, and some people just saw it as just extreme bad luck, but I don't know, at this point... Six months? Yeah. 
two people dead in like the in the same, home in the same circumstances mm-hmm. too. Come on, this is where I would kind of fault police by now. Maybe the first death I could kind of understand, but why aren't we connecting the dots here? Yeah, it's unfortunate that they don't, as you'll see. But obviously, at the same token, if you're the police, you don't necessarily want to accuse this family who, from the outside perspective, may have just suffered this really, really unfortunate loss, right? This absolute tragedy. She just lost her husband. Now she lost her son. And what if you're wrong? That would suck. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking if, if you accused her of that. Luckily, though, they did do an autopsy on her son, though. Mm hmm. When the coroner left the house, one of the neighbors named Rhonda Anderson went over to see if everything was okay. She had a very bizarre interaction with Diane. Diane calmly told her that her son had died, but she didn't show any signs of grief. Which, again, everybody reacts differently in these circumstances, but still, I think it's still a sign of something. You know what I mean? Like. There's got to be something there. Six months, especially between your husband and your son. Like I think anybody in a, in a normal situation would be somewhat even in stress or even if I wasn't crying, I would just be distraught. Right. I would be lost. You know, something. I I don't think I would just be operating as usual. Yeah. Well, her community figured that Diane would just be absolutely devastated by these deaths. But she hardly reacted to her husband and son's death. She didn't even hold a memorial or even have an obituary for Sean. I mean, that is huge. If red that's flag. not a red flag. Like, what? Like, you're not even going to celebrate your son's life. You're just going to be like, oh, that's, that's like, come on. That's so all these dots are lining up, right? So hopefully it's just a matter of time here. Let's hope. She then cremates his body and then collects $15,000 of life insurance money. A month later, Rachel posted a selfie on Facebook of herself sitting cross-legged and smiling. The caption read, Don't think I've seen my mom so chilled out like this in a long time. Okay, this is like 50th red flag here. Yeah. By now. That's bizarre. So not only is she not grieving, which, you know, obviously, like we've said, People grieve in different ways. The process is, is hard, but now we're seeing that she's chilled out and, and Rachel's at home. Like everything's this great. Is great. Mom's doing really good. Yeah. Hmm. Something fishy's going on. I think now with only four people in the house, Diane, Sarah, Rachel, and Brianna, the Stouty family got even more withdrawn and isolated. When neighbors would approach the house, the Saudis would go inside and shut the door. So they just like don't want to interact with anybody. On December 31st, Diane posted on Facebook, quote, New Year's Eve 2012. What a year of change. Okay, that's like your uh, big proclamation. What a big year of change. How about like this is the worst year of my fucking life. (laughs) Right. Or like any mention of your husband and son. Right, no owe to them at all. Yeah, very not even a rest in peace. Right, super bizarre. Only six months later, on June tenth, two thousand thirteen, Diane posted again, saying, "Asking for prayers as my daughter Sarah is in critical condition in the ICU tonight." There we go. Because twenty-four-year-old Sarah was hospitalized with failing kidneys, a failing pancreas, 
and brain hemorrhaging. So these are all very, very serious injuries that often lead to death. Yeah. All within this short time frame. And it seemed like she would be dead with a matter of days or even less. And guess what? Diane had another life insurance policy, 15000 bucks, on Sarah. I wonder if she knew to keep it inconspicuous uh, with the amount of life insurance policy because if it was like $200,000, everyone would be like, oh, okay, wait a Especially minute. Especially if it went but, up. Yeah, like exactly. after each death, mm-hmm. she but goes she, and gets she, a million dollar policy yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. And those, we've seen cases of people being idiots like that. Like It's so obvious. Right. Once you see the life insurance policy number, you're like, it is so obvious that this There's your motive murdered. right yeah. there. But she knew, I think she knew to keep it low. But while Sarah was in the hospital, an anonymous caller reached out to the police. And this caller would later, this is a, I love this. This later turned out to be the family's local church pastor, Jeff Sippy, which I love this because she's trying to save face. She's trying to look like this, you know, blessed church going woman who's super devout. And it's her own pastor is the mm-hmm. one like, nah, I see straight through you. You're the devil in disguise yep. here. He's like, there's a wolf in my flock. Exactly. So he told police that he thought there was a connection between Mark and Sean's death and Sarah's critical condition. And I believe he said something along the lines of, this isn't natural. These deaths aren't natural. And this was now the third Stouty family member to suffer from failing health within one and a half years. So by now, it it can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. So police finally start connecting the dots after they're basically explicitly told that this is what's going on. They head over to the hospital and they began questioning Sarah's doctors and nurses in their spare time. Good place to start. So the hospital staff told police Sarah was in a potentially fatal condition, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. When police asked about Diane, the staff said she had visited a few times but didn't stay very long. Some even claimed she was joking and laughing in the hospital room like she had no concern over her daughter's health. And she kept talking about this planned trip. She was going to go to Florida. She's like, I'm going to Florida. She kept like telling people, I'm going with on my daughter. Yeah, yeah. That's in a fatal. Yeah. Th- I, in the ICU. In the can you ICU. imagine hearing that as a nurse? Like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to those, you know, warm sand on my feet and. The palm trees. A martini or a yeah. margarita in my, my hand. I, could, I couldn't imagine. Your kid's literally brains hemorrhaging right now. Right. So red flag number 6,892. One of the doctors reported that all the tests they were running on Sarah came back negative. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. So obviously, if you deduce that, many thought that poisoning might have been at play. Police then returned to the medical examiner reports of both Mark and Sean. And luckily, since they did do an autopsy on Sean, they still had tissue and fluid samples from Sean's autopsy, which will come into play a little bit later. Police finally noticed the same symptoms and similar ways that they had both died. The detective's like, oh, what? This is the same as this. <laughs> yeah. Good. Oh, maybe something's going on. Good Drawing word. a line physically across yeah. the page. Like, my God. They do the little string on yeah. the bulletin yeah, board. Like, okay. Oh. Finally putting the pieces together. And so now, since the same exact thing was happening to Sarah, it just became obvious to them. On June 18th, 2013, Diane posted to Facebook again. She said, quote, 
Sarah update, after talking with her nurses, if all goes well tonight, she might get out of the ICU tomorrow. And by the next day, luckily, Sarah survived and they were able to take her home. Unfortunately, she did suffer from severe physical and neurological damage. Uh, this would extend her entire life and she would have to learn how to relearn how to walk and even speak again. And so the next move here was they bring Diane in for questioning. Because obviously they want to try to see if she'll explain what's going on. So before the questioning even began, the police already had very strong suspicions at this point of what was actually happening in the Saudi family home. It was very clear that someone was poisoning the family members. And they pretty much knew who that family member was. Obviously, Diane, I mean, if there's anybody that would understand poisons and also, you know, as we'll find out later, there was clues in the house that pointed to her looking into different poisons and ways to poison people. So they're looking for a confession. I mean, that would be, you know, this should be a slam dunk, right? If we can get a confession, there we go. So the questioning was carried out by Detective Neil McAmis. And it started as you would expect with Diane lying about Sarah getting sick, you know, beating around the bush, you know, according to her, Sarah suffered from bipolar disorder and claimed she might have tried to harm herself by taking pills or drinking household cleaners. Early on in this questioning process, she was laughing and acting casual while talking about her daughter's critical condition. So let's let's take a look at these clips because this is just fucking wild. She's no better way to put it. She creeps me out. She's very creepy. Here's some questioning footage. I keep thinking, what drug is there that would do that? Because it almost sounds like a drug overdose, but I can't think of what and. But her plants came back with, with absolutely nothing, nothing in her system. Nothing. So we can eliminate that then. Yeah. What the cleaners? If if that was the case, would that? Could I would that, think. I would think even that something in there would show up. How would that show up? I don't. I don't know mm-hmm. whatever chemicals are in there. Because I know it was negative on alcohol, so I know she didn't get into the beer. Mm-hmm. But beer is she much of a like drinker? that would do this? Uh-huh. What about drug user? Is she much of a drug no, user? Not nothing that, you, not that you're that aware I know of. of. Okay. Also, the bipolar thing—that she just pawns it off on her daughter's mental illness like that. Get get out of here. She's drinking household cleaners because she has bipolar disorder. Come on. So this next clip, you know, this goes on for quite a while. And we just kind of cut a few short clips to just give you an idea of what we're dealing with when it comes to Diane Stoudy. But this is a clip of where police obviously know what's going on. And they give Diane a chance to come clean. Well, well, let me ask you this, because from talking with the hospital... It sounds like they're doing a bunch of tests, and they're even sending some tests off to labs elsewhere. They mentioned the Mayo Clinic and oh, wow. and possibly other places, just the nature of this. Do you think there's going to be anything suspicious that we, that they find in all these tests that they're going to be doing? I have no clue. Okay. Because I, I, I don't even know what to look for. What do you mean? Well, 
I mean, if, if they're looking for some kind of a chemical that you may have taken, I can't think of what it would be to even know what tests they're doing. Because from my well, I, I see from my understanding, it sounds like they're going to run a whole bunch of various chemical type tests, possibly, and and just a whole bunch of other tests um, um, to see what was going on. Yeah. Um, if it would come back that there was something in there like that, how would you explain that? I don't know. Depends. I don't know. Depends on what. If, if something did show up, I'd have to figure out what it is. And then try and figure out where did it come from. Because I don't know. Okay. But as you'll see, like, she thinks she's smart and she thinks she's, like, fooling everybody. But she literally, like, talks her talks herself into trouble yeah and that's what i like about this detective he kind of stays quiet to let her run her mouth a little bit mm -hmm. and so it'll, she'll kind of dig herself a hole diane then said she hoped they could figure out what happened so she wouldn't have to go through that again instead of being concerned about sarah she was more concerned about herself the officer then told diane that during the autopsy of her son they took tissue and hair samples from sean and sarah's tissue and fluids were being researched like you heard by the mail clinic Again, they gave Diane a chance to confess, but she claimed, I didn't know anything. Here's a little bit more from that tape. Did you ever have any suspicion with Mark's death? Not really. I wouldn't call it suspicion. I was not surprised. Because he, he would binge drink and... What was your his marriage like? Um, how can I say this? We were still married, but it was not what you call a good marriage. Mm -hmm. Have there been any infidelities on either side? He had. He had. So I'm guessing then just briefly thought he wasn't the best husband? Mm, probably not. Okay. Not not to society, no. What do you mean by that, not to society? Well, he was running around and he would drink and smoke pot and... So he wasn't a very good guy is what not, you're saying? Yeah. I know, you know, I've had friends who told me I should kick him out, but I couldn't find myself kicking him out. Why not? I was afraid he'd kill himself. Why is that though? Why would he kill himself? Oh, he was bipolar too. And even though things were bad and he wasn't a good husband and you said he wasn't good for society that you didn't want him to kill himself mm -hmm. okay yeah even with all his faults i still loved him 
Okay. And Sean, any reason for anybody to want to harm Sean? I can't think of that. No. This detective's got a lot of patience, man. Yeah. I think you need a lot of not a lot of patience for for interrogations like this. Uh, yeah, she's stonewalling hard. Mm -hmm. And again, she brings up she just tries to scapegoat mental illness stuff like that. Puts all the blame on them too. Yeah, you know she didn't do anything wrong. Right, she's, she's just perfect. a bad guy that smokes pot and plays in a band. <laughs> oh, it's so terrible. And she's the God's begotten organist. Right. Yeah. Who's uh, slaving away at work every day to put food on the table? Which, right. you know, maybe she was, you know, working hard to put food on the table, but it's like, you know, that just because you don't don't bring money into your family doesn't make you a bad family member or a menace to society. Right. You know what I mean, and I I hate this too because it's the the reason you fell in love with the guy is because he was in a band, yeah, and the he love of music, music yeah. and then it turns. It's like what's the old saying it's like the thing that you first love about your romantic partner is the thing you end up hating in the end this is and here it classic is classic example yeah. man. so detective mccamus decides you know i'm not getting anywhere with her at this point so he does a very very smart move and uses that good old religious guilt and so he makes this appeal and he's like you know as a church going man myself, I think he says, as a believer, you know, and also someone who believes in forgiveness, why don't you tell us, you know, what really happened here? He's about to play her own card against, against her. her. Mm -hmm. when, when people, you know, do things, it's always good to ask for forgiveness. You know that. And oftentimes the best way to ask for forgiveness is to to talk about it and give an explanation as to why things happen. Notice how he scoots closer to her. As far as, um, Sarah is a difficult child mm -hmm. to deal with. I understand. And I've been kind of putting pressure on her to, you know, you need to get out and get a job. Your college bills are coming due. I don't want to pay for them. I, you know, after all, you get tired of doing everything for your kids. And it's like, you need to step up and do it. But as far as I don't know, as far as did I do something to her, I didn't do anything to her. I mean, I, I guess I could have taken her to the ER sooner, but I didn't know. How would you explain if through everything that's been going on, because I've been involved in this investigation for a while now and I've been working with the hospital. How would you explain? Because the hospital has been, you know, like I said, working with me and you may not be privy to know 
everything that we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. How would you explain if something's been found that may indicate otherwise? All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. All I know is if she, I don't know. I know I didn't do anything. So something was done. And yeah. did. Somebody did something. Oh. I'm just telling you, I didn't do anything. God. It's like the slowest band yeah, being pulled. Seriously, it's so, I can't imagine how aggravating it must be to sit there and just like, I know you know what happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. Stop. Stop bullshitting me. Like, let's, let's go. I got other it. shit to do here. Yep. So now he's like, all right, did the religious, you know, tactic. Let's go sympathy. Let's try to really get in there at the motions and maybe there's any feeling left in there. Yeah. You could say a, a little organist pun. He's pulling out all the plugs or pulling out. Fuck. I fucked the, it up. <laughs> he's pulling out all the stops. <laughs> shit. Stops. Which I didn't know that for a long time. That's a it's an organ reference. Yeah. You're pulling out the stops of an organ. I think I'm right on that. I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah. Stops on it. The, the little slides that yeah. they pull out. Yeah. yeah. I think they're yeah. called stops. And that's where that saying comes from. And if I'm wrong, Daniel's just going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> or we leave it in to expose your lack of organ knowledge. <laughs> yeah. No, he's right. right. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it stops. All right. Roll it. You know that, I know that. And that's what I'm giving you the chance, Diane. That's why we're here today. Is so you can tell me. So you can tell me so we can get it all on the table. It'll be that weight that'll be lifted off your shoulders. Because I know people that, especially good people like yourself, that walk around and carry this kind of stuff, carry these kind of burdens. Um, so many times just talking about it, to get it out there and say, here's the deal. I did this because... Because I had all this going on. And then it'll just, it'll be a relief to be able to talk about it, to get it off your shoulders, and then to help with the forgiveness and the healing process. But you have to, you have to do it. That's why I'm here. You have to sit down, just like we're doing, and talk about it and get it all out there. You do know oh, that. She's like, I, I, do know. Know. I know. I know, I know you're afraid of going to jail, but that's, that, you shouldn't even be thinking about that right now. I know. But that's how my mind works. I understand. I understand, but let's put that out of your mind because you shouldn't even be thinking about that. I understand you're afraid to go to jail. We're not going to even think about that because that's got nothing to do with it. Now is your chance to to tell us why and, and to show some remorse and ask for forgiveness. And that way I can go to these other people and say, yeah, she made some mistakes and that was it. So tell me about it, Diane. There's a lot of arguments. Make my family look bad. Yep. Like, I had to do this. Put it really short and sweet. I knew they were drinking antifreeze. Okay, so not a confession. I didn't want to take him in. I was mad at him, so I didn't want to take him in. What? Oh, she's talking about the hospital? Oh, yeah, she's talking about taking, taking them into the hospital. When they start getting sick off drinking antifreeze. Yeah. Why'd you delay? Because I was mad. 
what and that would just eliminate those problems wouldn't it they wouldn't be there to nag you to bug you to talk bad to you to be mean to you to be disrespectful to you that would just be a problem that's gone yeah. she th still thinks she's she being clever I knew they were drinking antifreeze. I wasn't the one giving it to them, though. I just How'd you know they were drinking antifreeze, Diane? They told me. Diane. You better, you, I want you to understand this. Okay. I want you to understand where we're at at this point. Okay. Right now, because I, I know you're scared. I completely understand that. I, I 110% understand that you're scared. But Diane, right now is not the time to tell me things that aren't true. Because it all comes back to, again, when other people, not me, but when other people that are going to see this, look at this and go, did she come in and tell the truth? Or did she lie, 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 and lie? Okay? You have to understand... There's going to be a lot of people that look at this, and you don't want them to see all these lies. You and I both know why you knew they were drinking antifreeze, and you need to tell me about that. And lying about it, Diane, will not help you. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. Really like his approach. Yeah. He's got this very like soft approach that I think really worked well in this yes. interrogation. And I... I could kind of read his body language there for a hot second after she says, well, I knew they were drinking antifreeze. And then he's like, well, how did you know? And she's like, I don't know. You can kind of see his body I noticed language. that too. He yeah, he like, his back gets like flexed. <laughs> like, he's like, <laughs> he's about to throw on. hands or something. He's getting, but he composes himself. He's really good at composing himself. So obviously she's admitted that they've been drinking antifreeze. But she doesn't say that she was the one giving it to them. So the detective knows it's like right there. We're so on the close. Tip of the iceberg. Let's see what happens next. Diane, you knew that they were drinking antifreeze. You knew that. They didn't. We both know that. You knew, Diane, that they were drinking antifreeze because you were giving it to them. Processing. <laughs> she's like, you got me. Yeah. You know, she's like, how could this happen? I thought I was so smart about it. There's no way. I didn't know what else to do. There it is. Boom. Didn't know what else to you do. really didn't. Really? You didn't know what else to do? <laughs> That's the worst excuse. God. God. Were you just at, just like we talked, were you just at the breaking point? Yeah. I didn't know what else to do. How do people get to this point? I don't, I don't get it. How do you get to the point where you're like, I mean, in this case, it doesn't seem like there's really any major issues going on as far as we know yeah i uh, she doesn't even say like he was abusive or anything he says oh he got drunk every once in a while maybe threw some things so, so divorce him yeah she's like get the uh, hell out of there i love him 
let me let me just kill him in the most brutal way slowly torture his body to the point where it gives up so disgusting so we've finally got the confession but obviously there's still questions as to why she would do something like this um and really let's be honest there's no excuse to do something like this this is just behavior that's so rancid i i it's hard to wrap my head around but it's important for the prosecution's case here they need a motive they need how exactly she did it because obviously they can find traces of poisoning but how are they going to connect this yeah this is a very difficult case to to prosecute yeah um without the full confession of okay you, you said that you did it, but how? Like, exactly. Give us the step-by-step playbook here. And the detective has tread really well here in water for a long time. So he's he's right there. He's got the confession, but he just needs a little bit more. So he's wondering, well, how did you do this, Diane? So let's check out this clip. How long had you been giving them the antifreeze before they finally got, like before Sean passed and before... Sarah got to the point that she was maybe a couple of days and what were you putting it in coca-cola what else I think that was it how much would you put in I don't know just a little bit and why just a little bit? I didn't want to hurt them. What? So why'd you put it in there at all? Such a lie. It's not a vitamin. Yeah. I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want to hurt them. You just gave them a yeah. little bit of antifreeze. Just a little taste. Delusional. Or she, I don't know. She's either... She's just lying to... The, the detective or she's lying to herself i don't know i think she's just saying things because she knows she's been caught now and so she admits to giving them antifreeze pretty much every day in small quantities a few tablespoons at a time i think sometimes she just eyeballed it and she kept the she kept the antifreeze stored in the garage which i think were maybe right near where they stored the Coca-Cola bottles. Interesting. So she'd like go make the drinks in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So according to her, it took about three days to kill Mark by putting antifreeze. She was putting it in his Gatorade and it took about two days to kill Sean by putting it in his Coca-Cola. That was his favorite drink. And she poisoned Sarah the exact same way. If you're a bit squeamish to poisoning in your body, malfunctioning, uh, just a heads up here. These are the effects of antifreeze on your body. So after drinking antifreeze, depending on the brand, you really won't even know that you drank it at all. It's main uses for protecting plumbing or car engines, and it's highly toxic. But the thing is that it's pretty odorless, and sometimes it's even a bit sweet. So if you're adding it into Gatorade or Coca-Cola, wouldn't even notice it when you're drinking it. And it's believed that the brand Diane was buying from was off of Wayfair. And she specifically bought this certain brand because it didn't contain a bittering agent. So it wasn't detectable at all. It's just that sweetness kind of blended in. So the victims most likely felt what's similar to being drunk for maybe 
a few hours after ingestion and it's quickly absorbed into the system. After a few more hours, crystals begin forming in your kidneys. You'll start to feel tired and groggy. You'll start to slur your words and begin vomiting. So it almost seems like you are really drunk. Uh, but even I remember even Charles said when he, he was uh, witnessing it happen to Mark, he was like, it wasn't really like he was drunk. It was like he was out of whack. So it's somewhere in between being drunk and something else entirely. Which I'm sure Charles could probably attest to that, right? Right. He's had many nights out, you know, playing it, music. and At bars and stuff. You're in a band. Yeah, you've probably seen Mark drunk a handful so he's of like, times. He's like, it's kind of, but Mark doesn't act like this when he's drunk. Exactly. This is like, like he put it, fucked up. Like yeah. He's just completely out of out. whack. Yeah. yeah. It soon spreads through your whole body and the side effects are brutal rapid breathing blood in your urine possible blindness leg cramps convulsions stupor weakness blue lips and blue fingernails and if it's bad enough which is what happened to sean and mark you'll fall into a coma and you'll die soon after and the thing is is that after you die from antifreeze it's really hard to detect in the autopsy because you have to be specifically looking for it someone has to be suspicious of poisoning especially with antifreeze for the medical examiner to even start looking for it so that was kind of the difficulties they ran into initially and for mark that yellow skin tinge is definitely from kidney failure was that obviously the the crystals forming in the kidney is going to eventually make those shut down and that's ultimately what's going to give you that yellow skin but after the confession and more questioning Diane became withdrawn. She put her feet up on the front of the chair and sometimes hugged her knees. Throughout the rest of the questioning, she was very quiet and most of her answers were short. When the detective wasn't in the room, she was often curled up with her head in her knees or arms. The detective then tried to understand what was her motive for killing her family members. So let's hear her explanation for killing Mark. How much was his life insurance policy? It was only 20000 20000 and you were able to use that money to get into your new house? Okay. So I didn't need the money. What was it more about than just hating him so much? If it wasn't about the money, was it just about hating him so much? I have a comment on this. Well, to be honest, I don't know. He would throw things at me. He would throw things at the kids. And I guess I just had enough. Okay. And it sounds like then after he started to get sick, once he got to the point where he was so bad, that it sounds like you just waited until he passed and then you called 911. So you knew he was dead before you called 911. Okay. Did you check him for a pulse, or how did you know you, you did? And there was no pulse. And obviously, from your training, then you you were aware that he was dead. And, okay, how long had he been dead before you called nine one one? Maybe five minutes. Okay. So were you there, kind of pretty much checking on him regularly to make sure when he was, and then when he finally did die, then you called. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first thing I noticed right off the bat, she says, "I didn't need the money." But that's why she resented Mark, 
because she's like, I'm the breadwinner. He doesn't bring any money to the table. And now she's saying, uh, well, I didn't need the money. That's clearly a lie. Yeah. She's just, she's just a bad liar and she's just trying to stick to her guns and her, her silly story. She's trying to spin. Mm -hmm. It was all about the money. The the whole motive for all this is the money and the fact that they're a burden to her. Yep. Because we also know that Sarah, she was always constantly bugging Sarah about her, her uh, college tuition or her unpaid bills. From my experience, most of those college loans end up falling back on the, on the parents anyway is how most of those loans usually work is like parent cosigns for them, which maybe she didn't have loans that uh, were cosigned for, but in order to get the higher amounts in order to actually afford college, I know this from firsthand experience, you must have a cosigner on those loans. That makes sense. So it's like, what did she even know that was her plan to kill her daughter? And then what you thought those loans would just disappear. No, most likely those loans would then fall back on you you. anyway. So it's like, what is the point here? Yeah, There is no point. So when talking about being a burden, and this is just so fucked up, when talking about Sean, Sean had autism. And for somebody in the medical field, you'd think she'd understand autism a little bit. Right. And I mean, I I don't know the, you know, the extent uh, of the autism or, or, you know, there's a huge spectrum to it, right? So he seemed to have trouble holding down a job, and it just seemed like she just killed him for purely selfish reasons. She just didn't want to have to be a parent to a child with autism. Yeah. Which is so evil. Yeah. So let's let's listen to uh, her explanation for killing Sean. And then Sean, how did, how did stuff get started with Sean? Sean would be interfering with whatever I would do. Selfish. Yeah. To the point where he was getting into my work. And I would have to tell him, you need to leave, you know, go to your room. Go do something. He would just, how can I explain this? You can't, because there's no good explanation. No. There's nothing that justifies what you did. I'll explain it. You get to the point where you just pull out your hair. Oh, boo-hoo. Because I didn't know what else to do with him. Get help. Seek out expert. God, it's such a terrible reason to kill yourself. just a constant bother. Wouldn't leave you alone. Like you said, he's interfering with you with your work. It it was almost to the point of inappropriate at times. I mean, to the point where he would walk into the bathroom if the door was shut. I mean, just really bizarre stuff. And just got, he was such an interference and a bother. You just said, you, know, you can't take it anymore. Well, it's more than a bother. More than a bother, okay. Yeah. What, a pest? Would that be a good word for it? No, well, it's more than that. Even more than that? Yeah. What, how would you describe it then? I'm lousy at explaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> at least she admits that. <laughs> yeah. It's to the point where I just wish I could 
leave. Mm-hmm. Well, why didn't you? And walk out. Because that would have been a better option than what you did. I should have. Still would have been a terrible mother if you walked out. Right, walk out on your kids. Would have been a a better alternative to this. Far better than killing them. (sighs) Diane also admitted that at one point she changed her mind and considered taking Sean to the hospital, which would have been a smart decision. But she decided against that and just continued poisoning him until he died. So now let's hear her absolutely ridiculous reasons for poisoning Sarah. And this is where we hear about Rachel's involvement. Why didn't she poison Rachel or Brianna? Hmm. Let's hear what she had to say. With Sarah, you said it was the same with her. You had like four days. It took four days. You were giving it before she started getting sick. Okay. And then you said with her, it was more of an all of a sudden. You said she was just a little sick. And then all of a sudden she got really, really bad. Okay. And you said, you know, you thought it was to the point that she was going to die. How come, why didn't you just leave her at home to die like the others? I couldn't do it. What, you magically grew a conscience? Didn't do it. Did Rachel say something about bringing her in? or how, I mean, what was the reason for bringing her when she was... Because you even said, you know, she was so bad. You know, you thought she was going to die and you had to carry her. And um, did, did Rachel, was she the one that said, hey, let's take her to the um, hospital? Actually, both of us thought the same thing at the same time. It's like, let's take her in. So what made you... with? Sarah, what made you decide to bring her in as opposed to the others? I just couldn't do it. Are you surprised she was able to pull through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did Rachel say about all this? She really hasn't said that much. What's her involvement? She doesn't know a thing. Mm, interesting. Other than her and Sarah don't get along that well because Sarah used to beat her up. God. Sarah would beat me up. Poor I- Diane. Yeah. Like she's the victim. Yeah. God. So Rachel has zero knowledge whatsoever. When we talk to her, is that what she's going to tell us? Mm-hmm. She has no idea. She has no clue. So you never mentioned to her what you were doing. Had you been giving any to her? What about Brianna? Why not those two? Because I love them. And I wish I hadn't done it, ever. Diane admits that Mark was her first kill, and there was no one before him. She also claimed that she had Mark cremated because that's, quote, what he wanted, and she cremated Sean because she didn't, quote, really care for cemeteries. Okay. 
All right. So, or maybe you were trying to hide evidence. Exactly. And she thought that whatever, if I burn the bodies, no one's ever going to be able to uh, find out about this. But so by the end of the questioning, here was Diane's explanation for killing her family members. And this is just everything summed up. So she resented her husband. She took care of the family financially. She claimed that Mark never helped out. She saw Sean as a burden she didn't want to take care of anymore. She was also fed up with Sarah, who couldn't get a job and spent her free time partying with friends. After interviewing Diane, the detectives needed a better understanding of what was really going on in the house. Unfortunately, Sarah, she was still struggling with communicating. She couldn't speak after being poisoned. So they interviewed the only other adult in the house, which was 22-year-old Rachel. The questioning began with Rachel acting friendly, laughing even, and cracking jokes with the detective while they talked about her deceased father and brother. When they brought up Sean, Rachel said that he was low maintenance. So pretty much the opposite of what Diane said. She says as long as he had some books or a puzzle, Sean was a happy camper. But again, this didn't match what Diane had said. She had tried to make Sean out to be a giant burden on her. When they brought up Sarah with Rachel, she described her as lazy. And all the while, Rachel still acted like she had no idea about what was going on. The detective then told Rachel that her mother had admitted to killing Sean and Mark and poisoning Sarah. And that's when Rachel began weeping in the interrogation room. When the detective asked if she had any involvement, Rachel said no. At first, it seemed like it was case closed and Diane was responsible for everything. But one more massive development would soon change the case. Detectives uncovered more evidence while searching the family home. It was known that Rachel was clearly Diane's favorite child, but detectives didn't know how close Rachel and her mother really were. They soon discovered one of Rachel's purple journals in her closet. And inside the pages, she described how she and her mother had planned the murders for the past year, dating all the way back to June 13th, 2011. One excerpt read, It's sad when I realize how my father will pass on in the next two months. Sean, my brother, will move on shortly after. It'll be tough getting used to the changes, but everything will work out. Obviously, once they found this, they're like, bingo. She was involved. She knew about this. So they arrested Rachel and brought her into the interrogation room. And just like her mother, she became very quiet once the secret was out. She spoke very little, and sometimes she was completely silent for several minutes when asked questions. When she did respond, her answers were only a few words at a time. Other times, she claimed she didn't know anything, or she was just drawing blanks. When presented with evidence found in her journal, she only confessed to dosing their drinks once, but then later admitted to doing it three or four times. So detectives had to figure out how much involvement did Rachel really have. And of course, we have some interrogation footage of Rachel. We talked about... Basically, a mutual hatred of dad. It progressed from there into what to do about it. Her demeanor has changed so much because in that first questioning she's joking oh my god my phone's running out of battery she's like 
like nothing's going on super casual and i wonder she's kind of cut from the same cloth as her mother yeah clearly supposedly she goes on to explain that diane had written private thoughts in a journal that sarah had gotten into now this is just this is all according to rachel sarah also overheard discussions about rachel and diane plotting to kill family members and rachel called this book of her mother's a dream journal diane had hidden the book inside her desk at home she wrote about dreams and fantasies like mark and sean dying there's nothing super explicit like like planning it was just kind of these abstract thoughts about them dying after a while sarah ended up finding that book and then diane had to shift she started writing on her computer instead but she also had to deal with sarah potentially knowing about these murders they later dosed Sarah's drink with antifreeze while she was distracted watching YouTube videos. So this might have been the motive for targeting Sarah. She may have not been in their planning at first, because if you notice, if you remember Rachel's diary entry, she doesn't mention Sarah dying. She just mentions Mark and Sean. So maybe the plan was never to kill Sarah. It just happened that Sarah kind of found out about what was going on. So they targeted her. Um, here's more interrogation video, and there was basically a moment of Rachel and her mother, Diane, considered, should we, should we bring in Sarah into our inner circle, or where does she stand on this whole thing with Mark and Sean? Basically, should we let her live or die? Right, is, yeah. Is the essence of this. Yeah. Was Harris hesitant initially because you said she was kind of in shock? Was she hesitant at all, or did she just agree with you guys and say, "Yeah, we got to do this"? Because I'm, I guess, did, did she have a hatred for your dad as well? She was extremely hesitant. Um, very afraid of death too, because she would always like. Talk about not wanting to die. So she was hesitant at first because you said she was afraid of death. She was always talking about not wanting to die. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at what point did she finally say, yeah, let's do this? Um, she'd accepted it by like... Right before we went on with Sean, to kill Sean. Okay. She helped with dad, but she still didn't she, like it. Okay, she, okay. This is still all according to Rachel, but I don't know. Do you think there's an honest, if there's this conspiracy within your family and you find out about two of your family members killing another family member? knowing that you might be next is it like do you think there's a fair accusation against sarah is what i'm saying uh if she did actually participate in helping them do you think it's fair uh like is she in the same responsibility category as rachel and her mother since sarah is basically like i th might feel like i have to do this or else i die because that's where kind yeah. of where i'm coming at it from yeah uh and of of course, this is all just accusations from Rachel. We, right. There's really no evidence to tie Sarah to these murders, but 
Yeah, it's it's hard, especially later on, as we'll hear from Sarah uh, on how she feels. I don't. I, I wouldn't put put the blame on her. I okay, mean, these yeah. two are very manipulative, and you know they're clearly only out for themselves and taking advantage of her. I wouldn't put it past them to yeah. try to do that. And in the end, we know that they ended up trying to kill her. So yeah. obviously she was not in their inner circle. Um, but here's more of that footage. They ask her why they ended up taking Sarah to the hospital, unlike the others. And it also gets a little strange. She also, Rachel talks about uh, her brother's bedroom. And after her brother's death, she might've been experiencing something uh, paranormal. Now you guys said you thought that she was pretty much dead, but why did you take her to the hospital? I didn't want another one to die in the house. And why is that? Because houses are nasty after somebody's died in it. Okay, and what does that mean? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? I get a lot of nightmares. Like after Sean died, I moved into his room and it was awful, awful, awful in there. I kept feeling things in there and uh, didn't want that again. Okay. So you didn't want her to die in the house. And you guys, explain to me why you waited to the point you did to bring her to the hospital was it just just like you said you just didn't want her to die in the house did you did you want her to die in the hospital instead great question yeah okay your mom had said something to me about you guys didn't want her to die in the house because of kind of a ghost experience is that kind of what you're talking about when you say you get these feelings yeah. and you didn't want that again haunted by their family members yeah kind of sounds like and uh i also find it interesting that at first diane was saying that we took her to the hospital because she didn't really have a good explanation for it but i don't know it sounded like she was like oh i did i just didn't want it to happen again like we had a i had a change of conscience mm-hmm. and i wanted to save my yeah, daughter try to make herself look better yeah, yeah but we just clearly they're that, like they planned on her still dying. They were just like, maybe if it'll look better. And since we don't want her dying in the house, we'll take her to the hospital when she's in the most critical condition, strategically hoping that she still dies. It's just, it's so, I don't even know the right word. Cringy, eerie to hear Rachel say house is nasty after someone dies in in it, you know, and just like, you're talking about your brother your father and you just act like it's some piece of trash you know a dead animal or something that died in the house it's like this is your family it's crazy to hear it like just like and just emotionless you know just like they just both seem dead inside yeah they really do and then here's it's gonna say icing on the cake but what's what's the opposite of icing Icing on on a cake cake. yeah shit on a shit sandwich this is rachel's journal entry which the detective brings up and it has this very eerie poem in it uh, that kind of adds another layer to uh, how rachel was 
not only involved but like fantasizing about yeah, this almost like yeah like getting off on it right. is i think the best word or phrase to describe this yeah like she, there's some enjoyment there's here. a there's a yeah there's this happiness that they're looking for at the end of this yeah and it's like that she gets like this creative inspiration from these deaths so here's here's the last tidbit of that interrogation and let me ask you uh while we're on the topic of journal stuff i guess you know after we arrested you when we had to search your purse you know we found your new journal entry some of the stuff that you've written in there and i've got some of that talking about how you felt you know kind of bad um about sarah's pain because you helped basically put her in the position she was and um so did you feel bad then because you, you wrote that you felt a little bit bad about knowing that you helped put her in that much pain so did you feel kind of bad about that or it's harder when you're watching in the er she would scream out i don't like screaming okay so that that was harder you, it would have just been easier for you if she just would have died and not having to see all that yeah okay and then you wrote a little poem at the end of that do you remember that how did that poem go I read about the nurses a little bit. Right. And it's like, they make you feel stupid. Mm -hmm. You remember at the very end of that writing what you wrote about it? Something to the effect that I know what's happening. Mm. Something like this. It said, once upon a time there were six. Now there are only three. Only the quiet ones are left. My mom, my little sister, and me. Only the quiet ones are left. That's so eerie. And you would, I don't know. You would expect poetry in a moment of grief to be not that not that yeah right just so cold too it's just chilling yeah so rachel admitted that killing her brother was unfair and you know honestly like i don't even know what to believe half the time yeah. in these interrogations but we're just i'm just reiterating what she was saying and in her opinion, they should have just sent him to an assisted living facility, right? Which, yeah. Definitely that, exists. So it's wild that she had a solution for this. And maybe they had spoken about this at some point, but they ended up choosing not to go with that route. Perhaps the money it would cost to do that. True. Is my guess is reason why they didn't just go that route. It seems point. like they probably, and maybe not, but. They probably thought of other solutions, but all those solutions involved more money to do it. 
yeah. a divorce, got to split finances. There's, you know, he doesn't work. So is there spousal support that gets implemented? You know, Sean goes to, a, you know, there's definitely facilities like this uh, that exist. And, but then she, who's going to pay for that? Right. Gonna pay for that. You know, Sarah's got the student loans. It's like they all carry, you know, this monetary debt with them in some way. And so she was like, well, the only way to avoid that is if they're just not living anymore. Which is wild that that's the solution. That's the logic. All this. Also in this interrogation, Rachel and Diane, Rachel admits, this is what she says, that they also considered killing Brianna after Sarah, which, you know, initially Diane was like, no, I love, I love Rachel and Brianna. I would never kill them. But I don't know who, who knows what's true at this point. They were going to poison her with root beer, supposedly like the others. And Rachel also admitted to helping her mom research ways to kill their family members before committing any of the murders. And I think this is huge. They looked into poisonous plants and cyanide in their search engine histories, which God, yeah. if you want to talk about dumb criminals, just reveals everything in your search yeah. engine. Detectives found searches like suffocation pills, how to kill your husband. Good God. Rachel even researched to see if they could use a form of Wiccan magic to kill their family, which we know. Wiccans no results aren't. for that. Yeah, yeah. Right, there is none. In the end, they chose antifreeze and Diane recruited Rachel to help her. So what exactly was their eventual goal? I think we have a good picture of it now, mm -hmm. but here's in Rachel's own words. Here's the eerie goals. For as far as dad, it was for a little peace. Okay. A little peace. What? Good. God. Sean, because he was annoying and. Wow. Okay. Texas got to be like, what the fuck? Sarah was just very nosy, and very nosy, nosy, annoying, and, and disturbing the peace. Dead. Yeah. What the hell, man. Heartless. And what was the reason for Brianna? Kind of hear her like crying. Yeah. Um, because I know there's no way in hell I'd be able to take care of her. I can't take care of me. So how could I ever take care of her? I don't want her to go. I just wanted her to be with me. <laughs> You just wanted who to be with you? Brianna. You just wanted Brianna to be with you? Then why were, why were you going to kill her, though? Because then I would go with her. Because <laughs> I knew eventually I'd have to kill myself. And why is that? Because then there'd be no point for me being here if there was nobody else in the house. Well, what about your mom? 
we talked about that. And she basically agreed if I wasn't here, she would have killed herself a long time ago. Same goes for me. Hmm. Does that make any sense at all? No, and it it kind of feels like in their minds or whatever justification, or it's all a lie, who knows, but there's like this false dichotomy of either you take care of people in your family or you kill them. And like yeah, that's how or they're just dead. That's how they've rationalized this entire thing. It's either you live in misery with the burdens of your family or you kill them. And that's mind blowing to me. So Rachel was worried about getting caught. And here's a weird response that she had because of the detective asks both Diane and Rachel, if they ever even considered getting caught, both of them said, not really. Uh, and Rachel, when she thought about getting caught, she had seen TV court cases and didn't want to become one of the people she had seen on TV. Bizarre response. Well, that didn't work out. Right. And she just wanted to be left alone. According to her, she never discussed the idea of getting caught with her mother, and she never really thought she would ever get caught. So they thought they were going to get off scot-free. They thought they were so smart and so thought out, but really they're dumb. Yeah. Very dumb, both of them. My thoughts, too, about their eventual goal is like, I think money yeah. is at play here. There's not another child that they have to split the money with or spend money on less expenses, less expenses. Yeah. Rachel and her mom can live the life that they always dreamed of. That's, that. that's kind of the only thing that makes sense to me really. Yeah. All the other shit just is, I don't know. doesn't really have any logic to it. It's like, yeah. It's hard to find logic in this case, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So after the confessions, Diane was charged with two counts of first degree murder one count of assault in the first degree, and one count of armed criminal action. Rachel is charged with two counts of second-degree murder and one count of first-degree assault. In 2016, Diane took an Alford plea, which, again, an Alford plea is a guilty plea, but the defendant claims innocence and doesn't admit to the criminal act, which the Alford plea is a very controversial thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which I understand why, because it's like you get to plead guilty, but you basically are innocent of the act yeah you're you're like the evidence is stacked against me and i know i'll i know that they're gonna convict me but But somehow i didn't didn't do it right right somehow it's better for me but diane ended up being sentenced to three life terms in prison without the chance of parole and she narrowly avoided the death penalty in this case she is currently incarcerated at the chillicothe Correctional Center in Chillicothe, Missouri. And I apologize if I did not pronounce that right. But in 2022, she denied ever poisoning her family members. And I was just like, come on, man. Really? Lie after lie. You confess and then you're like, no, actually, I didn't do it. Because ABC went in to jail to interview her and asked her point blank. Here's what she had to say. Diane, I'm Deborah Roberts. This is a chance for you to speak. (laughs) which, you know, you haven't done, I guess. No, ever. Do you find yourself wondering how you wound up here? You, a nurse, a mom, a wife, Mm -hmm. uh, a woman who had a 
full life? Do you think you deserve to be in prison? Yes and no. It's yes or no. <laughs> what? Not yes and no. Also, a lot of that interviewing is just her spouting lies constantly, and she's just trying to dig herself out of the hole. Uh, yeah. Well, now in hindsight, she's probably like trying to get an appeal going, and you know, she's yeah. doing everything she can. She's like, "I'm going to take this opportunity with this media coverage to put out a different narrative." Yeah. She also suggested that Mark was involved in a drug ring. And someone had put a hit out on him. Well, this is the first time we're hearing that. Right. And where's the evidence to back that up? What about the Google search that said, how to kill your husband? Seriously. Who typed that in? Come on, man. She thinks she can pull the wool over people's eyes. It's like, you're you're terrible at lying. You think you're smart. You're really not. She also claimed that her son, Sean, quote unquote, left a note and took his own life. Again, where's the note? There's no evidence of that. As for Rachel, she pled guilty in a deal with prosecutors agreeing to testify against her mother. Rachel was sentenced to two life terms with a chance of parole after 42 and a half years. Of course, both her and her mother have filed for appeals. And Rachel argued, quote, when lawyers were appointed, my fear of men was not accommodated, leading to miscommunication, coercion, and mental duress. Being in an interview room alone with a male detective was like being flayed alive. Wow. Wow. What does that stem from your father? Like what what is that even coming from? That just sounds like a desperate excuse. Kind of, just like her mother, right? Yep. Just, yeah, they're definitely just cut from the same cloth. To, yeah. Sure. As for the youngest, Brianna, her name has been changed and she was taken into the foster care system. Sarah was left with permanent physical and psychological trauma. But she has since forgiven her mother. She actually does it in court. Let's let's hear what Sarah had to say. I'd rather be a survivor than a victim. She not only took away my dad brother, but she took away my, my independence. What's so absolutely messed up about Sarah being in court having the courage to to say these things and stand before her mother is that her mother didn't even look at her, refused to turn around and look at her own daughter. Sarah later said, quote, I am a Christian and I believe forgiveness is the only way to go. But even with that forgiveness, she no longer sees Diana Rachel as her family. In her own words, she thinks of them as killers that hate me. She will live in assisted living for the rest of her life due to the effects of the poisoning. Throughout the years, she has added information about the case to her Facebook profile, and her banner included a picture of her father, Mark, performing with his band, Messing with Destiny. And just like Mark, Sarah now has a strong interest in music, and she has since picked up playing the bass guitar, which I'm happy to hear. I'm just so happy that she survived and is, I mean, her life is forever changed and many horrible ways but i'm glad that she's trying to create yeah, you know do her a happy best. life for herself yeah. and the best that she can and i hope for brianna's sake that she's doing okay yeah but i can't even imagine having to deal with this yeah, your entire family is just fractured and gone essentially 
but man, I, uh, I've said this before, but it's always, I don't know, liars, manipulators just terrify me. Uh, and Diane, I think the thing with Diane is that like many killers on paper, they seem, it's like, oh, you're just kind of an average Joe. Mm -hmm. You go to church, your life at home is whatever. People don't think twice about it from the outside. Everything's quote normal. But something seriously, deeply wrong in this household. And that's, I'm always curious of what was really going on for, you know, the months and years that preceded this. Um, you know, who was, we don't really know who Mark was to a deeper degree. We just don't really know the family dynamics that yeah. much. And since they're such liars, it's like you can't really trust what they have to say about a lot of it. Because, I mean, the big question is how did this escalate to murder? Yeah. How did we get to the point? And was it really just because of the financial burden and the emotional burden that drove Diane to want to permanently remove them from their life, but also the rest of her family's lives? That's the the big question there that we probably will never know, especially now that she's like, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Yeah. My so, husband was connected to a drug ring and stuff. She's just, she's, she's just, a, I think she's just a deeply, deeply selfish, disturbed individual. And it sounds like everybody who's ever come in contact with her out, even outside of the family has picked up on that in yeah, some way, shape or form for sure. So it's just, you know, maybe it's just, and, and her daughter, seems to be the same way so it's just a deeply rooted almost genetic thing like this is just something that has always been there that manifested itself when the opportunity arose yeah because i mean they did say i don't know this is according to diana obviously but she did say she's like in the early years things were really great so yeah when did it start did it was it like a really really slow decline and then all of a sudden they were like, now's the time. Mm -hmm. Was there the straw that broke the camel's back? I just, it just I, seems like we're missing something. Yeah. Cause it, or maybe we just, it's just hard to compartmentalize yeah. this or case just because like, this it's is so, in, it's just so crazy to think that someone would do this for really for any reason. It's wild. Yeah. It, it just makes no sense whatsoever. I am glad that they got proper justice was served i feel in this case yeah i think life in prison without the possibility of parole is very very fair for diane and what she did and i hope she never that never gets overturned or she gets a chance of parole somehow yeah. and i know rachel she'll be in as her sentence stands now she'd be in her 60s i think yeah i mean her whole 60s. life's over yeah although there is always a possibility of her paroling earlier than probably True. 42 and a half years, True. Probably, and especially through the appeals process. So we'll have to just see if anything uh, comes of the appeals process and they're able to get their sentences reduced or anything like that. But for the sake of her family and for those that were just murdered, I mean, being poisoned to death just is a horrible, horrible way to die. I mean, your whole body essentially shuts down yeah. and your last days are 
you just uh, being tortured, basically being tortured. Uh, I I just I feel just so bad for Sarah, Brianna, and obviously Mark and Sean. I mean, Sean, it's like he didn't even do like he didn't do anything. He's just being who he is, you know. Yeah, sure. and his own mother is like, nope, I'd rather you not be here. Yeah. Well, you would walk into the bathroom sometimes. Just the craziest excuses for how she justified these killings. Danny, any thoughts on on this case, or you feel like their uh, punishment was was just? I mean, I feel like no punishment is ever going to be just. Yeah, it doesn't bring back those situations. Um, as far as Diane goes, I mean, it really seems like a lot of what she did was to try and save face. I think that's the whole reason why she ended up killing instead of getting a divorce. I think the divorce would have been financially messy. It probably would have ruined her, you know, good looks in the church. Absolutely. And so she found if she got away with this, it'd be a lot easier. And it's it's just disgusting. And as far as Rachel goes, I I think she's evil too. I think she's like Austin said, cut from the same cloth as her mother. And I mean, I hope she doesn't get out. I hope she doesn't get doesn't get paroled. Anything. I hope she stays in there. And I hope she fucking rots. Really. Amen. Yeah. I have not much else to say about this <laughs> That's one. About I mean, it. My God. Yeah. Just a just a horrible, horrible tragedy for this 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 poor family. But we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Let us know your thoughts on, on Diana Rachel and what you thought of this case and we'll catch you guys in the next one. And until then, lights out, everybody. <laughs>